Hi, my name is Stephanie Gordon. I'm one of the co-hosts for the Zurich North America Future of Risk podcast. Did you know that public investment in U.S. infrastructure as a share of gross domestic product has actually fallen by more than 40% since the 1960s? And that the World Economic Forum now ranks the United States 13th when it comes to the overall quality of our infrastructure? We're going to talk about that today. I'm joined by Andrea Blair. She's Zurich's Director of Business Resilience and Continuity Management Services. So welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Stephanie, and thank you for everybody listening, um, for taking time to listen to our perspective on the fragility of our nation's utility infrastructure. So we know that without safe roads, bridges, drinkable water, electricity, even broadband service now, businesses cannot run productively and people can't live well or sometimes even survive. In addition to that statistic that I just shared, we've also seen reports that more than 45,000 U.S. bridges and one in five miles of U.S. roads are in poor condition, for instance. There are millions of people that we know, unfortunately, still get water from lead pipes. We saw a significant impact in places without reliable access to broadband internet during the pandemic. Those are all infrastructure issues. I'm hoping that we can talk about the issues that the government and private businesses are grappling with, the impact that it's had. I think you're going to be sharing some examples. And on the positive side, if there are some mitigating actions that you see as a member of our Zurich Resilience Solutions team, does that sound like a plan? Definitely. It sounds like a good plan. The critical infrastructure really includes uh, quite a bit. It's anything that gets people or goods where they need to go, like highways, bridges, tunnels, railways, even airport transport. And then um, what else is included in that is what we need to keep human sustainable and this and manufacturing going and things like that on your buildings and in your plants and that's more the utility part of critical infrastructure and that includes the buildings clean water electricity natural gas nuclear energy any of those things any of those vital systems that are needed to keep our society really running so out of all of those elements, Andrea, obviously we can't drain them all in one podcast episode, and I think you want to focus primarily on energy and water during our conversation today, but maybe we can talk for a couple minutes about bridges, um, because there have been a lot of high-profile stories in the news about the safety of bridges. Can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, we've all kind of had some some recent, uh, one was very interesting, which was the Pittsburgh Forbes Bridge, where Biden was going to be doing a speech on an infrastructure bill that he had was ready to sign. And it, they actually had to reroute where that was going to happen because the, the big bridge completely collapsed. Um, that's a bridge that at the time that it happened, uh, the injuries were few, but if it had been an hour later, they were saying during rush hour that that bridge handles over 15,000 cars per day. Uh, and then another one that was more down in my neck of the woods, I live in Nashville, was the Hernando de Soto Bridge, which is a major artery on I-40, which really runs almost all the way across the country, um, Memphis area, um, center of the country, uh, very large for goods and services. It's a um, big distribution hub, right? 
Yeah, a full FedEx headquarters is there. Right. But supply chain was impacted by that one, and that was down for quite some time. Um, and then the very recent one was the I-95 right through Philadelphia, which is the main north-south artery on the east coast, which was a tanker fire. Um, but it really ended up being a success story because they got that bridge reopened in 12 days and they actually did some green initiatives there. They used recycled bottles as the material to reconstruct that bridge. So there is an inspection system that's ongoing, but they're finding that our bridges overall are in, um, they're old and they're just deteriorating. Um, so that's one aspect. We're not gonna concentrate it on a whole lot, but I did wanna mention it because it has been in the news and it's something that everyone can kind of attach to that transportation piece. We've also known about all of the cargo bays and import ports that have been having issues that have impacted the supply chain quite a bit as well. That's exactly what I was thinking is the supply chain disruption is where a lot of people become aware of things that are happening outside their immediate vicinity and maybe the roads or the bridges, highways, um, even tunnels, I would imagine, that you use locally. Um, but then we see the national news with these big headlines so well, why don't we, yeah, sorry, and go we're ahead. such a global economy, so reliant on things, especially from the Pacific Rim, that the cargo piece and Suez Canal issues, geopolitical issues even, uh, that don't even involve physical infrastructure, so to speak, um, have really impacted supply chains. Well, and there are a lot of companies now that are really rethinking um, geography and geopolitical issues and transportation issues are becoming a big piece of whether they consider to go to an outside country supplier versus um, finding somebody internally. You mentioned cargo, Andrea. Does that also, um, are airports also included within infrastructure? Yes. So the critical infrastructure, again, it's the, you know, the resources that we need to keep businesses and humans uh, running. And then the infrastructure is what what it takes to get them where, get them and their goods wherever they need to be. So yes, airports are included. Okay. So let's shift now to utilities. Um, and I guess that would encompass what, like the electrical grid, right? Is it also water, is it sewage? Um, would we put renewable energy in that category? Yes, it would be anything that, it, again, is used to keep businesses and homes running where the infrastructure is more if you need to go from your home or business somewhere else, whether it's a human being or a product. And the utility part is within those manufacturing facilities or schools or hospitals or homes, what it takes to keep them running. Um, so it includes electricity, water, natural gas, petroleum, um, solar. Uh, solar is also looked at as a solution, so there's a little bit of transfer there. Um, it also includes nuclear, any of those things that are used to keep people moving around. Okay, so then what are some of the challenges that businesses face who are providing those utility services? There's probably well, not a one-size-fits-all answer to that. No, certainly there's not. And we can, again, like the bridges, if we want to just think of some recent events um, for electricity, there is a large um, European energy crisis and it's been 
said that it's really due to um, agility issues, uh, their inflexibility to be able to transfer from natural gas to turbine or solar or anything like that. And it's also the geopolitical crisis. Some countries there are so small, like Ukraine, that, you know, Russia owns a lot of its power and can it has the ability to kind of shut them off. And they have done that. Here in the States, um, we've had issues such as the Texas freeze. So that really showed how vulnerable and fragile um, their electrical grid is. And the cause, as I understand it, because I listened to a, a speech on it a few months ago, is that they are so lean in how they, which normally saves the customers money. But when something like this happens, everything breaks down. And that's why people were getting like $9,000 bills. Um, and the cost of that was like anywhere from 80 to $130 billion in losses. Some were actually, you know, insurable losses, but then the rest were text freezes, 80 billion to 130 billion in direct losses. And then the ones that were tied to insurance claims were 10 to 20 billion. So that's a massive thing when you think it was just one state um, that experienced that. Um, the Colonial Pipeline is probably another one that people remember. That's the major petroleum pipeline. There were gas shortages that so was on the East Coast, and that was a cyber-related Yeah, that was uh, a hack yeah. attack, right? Yeah. It was yeah, a hack attack. I do attack. remember that. Yeah. And that industry is very, that was surprising because the power generation, power and utilities have been pretty heavily regulated in terms of their business continuity planning, but cyber was something that they just weren't quite ready for. And it impacted all the way to the Midwest. So there were, you know, big gas wars. Also, it's because everybody went to the pump because of that. And then natural gas hasn't had as many issues, quite frankly, but our load is just so high on our grid and our water infrastructure, a lot of it is very old, which is when you get into the Flint water issues where they had contaminated water for quite some time, that was because the piping and the infrastructure that transports the piping wasn't good. And so it ended up um, making the water unsafe for those residents in that area. It's, it's one of those, all of these things, it's interesting when you talk about we take them for granted when they're functioning the way we expect them to. And it's such a surprise then when something so crucial to our to our lives, to our businesses, you know, stops, right. <laughs> fails, you know, <laughs> something happens to it, et cetera. It, it, it's an, an immense hardship for people or businesses who are experiencing those things. Um, are there are there any other examples in terms of either um energy or water that you want to talk about because the u.s water system is this sprawling network right of yes of, it um, is and entities that provide us hopefully with safe reliable drinking water yeah so the water and the water issue there's two three different types of water sources it's surface ground and recycled so again flint michigan's issues that was contamination that was because the water distribution system was just old and had not been you know brought up to standard and they ended up having contaminated water it took them quite a quite a while to straighten that out years so right in, 
years. And then yeah. in the U.S. here, the Western states, it's the shortages. So it's the overpopulation. Um, and the predictions are that unless usage is reduced significantly, we're going to be those those states specifically will be looking at severe water shortages in 2040. A lot of the aquifers are very, very low. Um, and globally, more than one billion people don't have access to clean drinking water and 3 billion experience scarcity at least once per month. So what we're seeing in the U.S. isn't even really the magnitude of what we see globally as far as the water goes. And when you talk about water, especially in the Western states, not only is it a, especially California, huge population out there, but that affects a lot of our agriculture because that obviously reliance on water, but that's what a large portion of the water is going to, right? Correct. And so, but what about the EPA? What's what's the Environmental Protection Agency? What What's their responsibility? I mean, their responsibility is really more about, um, the EPA is really more about when someone's using water, like if a manufacturing plant is using water, they need to treat it before it goes back. And the EPA is also responsible for air emissions. We're not really talking about air because it's not really a utility, but okay. the EPA puts controls in place for companies. They also, um, the, the EPA is involved in, you know, if your cars have to go through an inspection in your state for emissions and things like that. So the EPA is more the overall governing body that, is giving out some rules to keep um, and regulations basically to keep the air and water clean, but they're not necessarily on the supply end. They're dealing with the end result. So like the right. fires in Canada right now, um, they're, they're unfortunately coming down and making our entire country smoky in areas. I mean, New York City, you couldn't even see the building across the street a couple weeks ago so they are dealing with the out but something like a wildfire they can't control that you know they can tell a manufacturing plant you can only have this much emissions if you're going to use public water you have to clean it before you return it so they're doing some things but they don't really control all of this so and you've given us several examples of the the bigger implications of not investing or prioritizing maintenance or improvement or you know even innovation for that matter. So I think we've talked pretty thoroughly about those issues facing the infrastructure. Let's pivot now and talk about some of the solutions that might fix this. How do we plan it? How do we fund it? Make things hopefully safer, more efficient. Yeah, I mean, really, we all know that this is important. It's what we need to keep citizens and consumers safe and healthy. That is what we want, what we plan on doing. But we need to invest in it, that's for sure. So right now, it seems as if the plan is when something breaks, fix it, versus just investing to you know, be to proactive. make sure it, it being proactive about yeah. it. It's a bridge collapses. We put all kinds of resources together. I mean, we do have the inspection program, which is great. When water goes bad or there's a main break, um, the, we're more of a reactive right now for all, whether it's the transportation, the bridges, or the utility infrastructure, the water and energy. We fix it when it breaks, but we don't really have a plan to be proactive about repair and improvement. 
Do you have a couple examples of what solutions might look like if they were going to be more proactive? I would say there needs to be more coordination with corporate America and the federal government in terms of this teaming together um, to go together on projects, big corporations that need these things, um, making sure funds are redirected to support them. Again, balancing supply and demand. They should always be looking at, you know, you look at areas of growth and, you know, again, they'll add water when they absolutely have to. They add electricity when they absolutely have to, but they're not looking at the entire grid in a proactive manner as much. Most aren't um, looking at alternative sources, hydro, solar, wind. Some states do give incentives for that, but to my knowledge, for personal people, not companies, there are no um, programs to really support people in making those investments in themselves. Incentivize uh, them. Incentivize them, yeah. correct. Education and again with the water, education and water reclamation is another thing. There's a lot of looking into ways to convert salt water, um, collect rainwater in better ways. A lot of us have seen those big white uh, windmills, um, that's air support. And you are seeing more solar panels, but I do feel it's people personally saying, hey, I'm going to do this because I'm worried about our power grid. And it's not just vulnerable from the perspective that it's aged and a little overtaxed. It's what if either a geopolitical issue, someone decides to attack our utility infrastructure. It wouldn't be that difficult to create a real crisis situation. So what I hear you saying is the support for maintaining or enhancing elements of the infrastructure is really fragmented. But if we start to look at it more holistically, you know, this is an ecosystem. <laughs> like you talk about keeping things in balance, right? Right. I'd be curious to say, are, are there more things that companies, you mentioned that they have a lot of skin in the game here, obviously, to keep their supply chain running and to keep their consumers connected to goods, et cetera. Are there any other thoughts that you have about how companies can participate in that? Or you started to mention, you know, kind of a symbiotic relationship with the government. What's what's that look like? Yeah, so really working together and having companies say, okay, you know, look at a large industrial park. You know, some of them can have massive companies. They're making lots of money. And they're having asking them to, you know, go in and help support a federal grant for that area that may be improving. I mean, they're using large amounts of water, more than a regular consumer would, large amounts of energy and have large trucks going over the transportation routes. And they also have skin in the game that if those things aren't provided, they're going to have issues. So asking them, instead, many areas are giving so many tax breaks to the big companies to get the jobs there that they're almost not paying their fair share. Not everywhere, but in some ways they're not paying their fair share. But incentivizing them so that to increase the reliability. I've seen in a lot of different companies where all of a sudden they're drawing so much water to do what they do and they have their wastewater treatment plant. But they, if the community 
increases or they're in a big business park uh, where a lot of companies move in, that small town's water is typically can't accommodate that. And having them help invest in improving not just what they need for their industrial park, but let's just take a look at the whole system and work together to improve it for just the residents and the companies in the area. It's really a matter of being corporate responsibility or being a good corporate citizen as exactly. Is yeah. And if they if there was more cooperation and they would team together, you know, it probably wouldn't cost the companies all that much because they'd be sharing the load with 20 other companies. And probably less to invest proactively, to your point, than have mm-hmm. to scramble to make repairs when things fail, um, which is incredibly disruptive to business. Yeah. I think the other thing that they probably should start to implement is automated monitoring of everything. Companies are using Internet of Things to monitor all of their production equipment and all of their internal resources, but really educating the public utility providers how to do that so they're going to find out before a failure that something is starting to um, degrade to the point that it might fail. Well, and it's interesting because that idea of constant monitoring, and I I think I read something, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, about a technology they can attach to bridges, which is constantly monitoring um, their stability or if there's a crack or that kind of thing, because we've, we've, we've gone beyond the days that human inspectors can actually get to, you know, tens of thousands of bridges or roads or tunnels or things like that is just not technically feasible anymore. But we're in an age where technology can help us do that if we make that investment, right? Exactly. And they're not doing that. And I think that's an area, too, where businesses could help. Um, And again, that's that more proactive approach instead of waiting till something breaks and fixing it. I mean, we hear a railway failure or whatever, and then they go out and fix it. But at that point, the damage is done and could have the same issue a mile down. There's only so much you can look at visually, humanly. And power's a little bit ahead in being able to do that, um, especially when you get into the renewable energy, such as the solar and the wind. A lot of that is built in that, but our primary electrical grid, not so much. Right. And and like you said, we've seen the strain on that several times. Yep. I so, mean, we're having brownouts pretty continually a lot of times in the summer, in the hot, hot months. I think they did it Texas as well. They did it in Nashville last summer where we were actually for maybe 30 minutes a day. They just cut your power because Nashville is a very growing area yeah. and the electrical grid is having trouble keeping up. And that's just not sustainable for the long term. It's not sustainable. We've covered a lot of ground today. Andrea, thank you so much for being part of this conversation and for sharing your insights about this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And to all of our podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you'll join us in the future for another edition of Zurich's Future of Risk podcast. Thanks. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week. 
The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.